another Wendell Wallace production. I want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast. YouTube, iHeart, Amazon, Spotify, anywhere where you listen, watch your favorite podcast. Sit back, relax, enjoy, and listen as I do it, and I do it, and I do it so goddamn well. Special dedication for those across the nation listening to this podcasting sensation named Wendell's World in Sports, a podcast talking about what is happening in the everyday of sports in all sorts of ways, angles, viewpoints, and positions, making it the best podcast you can listen, which is my mission. So, I choose to accept these responsibilities that come with the territory to tell a story of how my podcast is more clutch and game-winning than Robert Ory. So... I must kill the competition with the ruefulness of a Richard Kuklinski so I can bang out the hits like I was Carl Yastrzemski. Like Giannis in the open court, you can't defend me loving the inner strength and beauty of Sarah Hyland of Modern Family. Oh, it becomes quite tiresome, always crossing over the competition like Georgetown's own Allen Iverson, defending my crown like my man Canelo. Step to me, you'll end up being one hurting fellow. I'll knock you out more viciously than Leon Edwards did Kamara. Your heart and feelings will be full of sorrow knowing that my podcast is the best since yesterday, today, and tomorrow. My podcast is worth over a million, while yours is nothing but a penny. Given my sports insights for your listening delight, I'm more Omega than Kenny. Like the cleaner, I change my demeanor when speaking on sports that affect our society with a variety of thoughts and beliefs. The entertainment of my podcast will never cease. So when it comes to Wendell's World in Sports, watch, listen, follow, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyhow, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, good morning, good abend, que pasa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast from all over the world. Special dedication for those who are taking the time to listen to my podcast. I appreciate it so doggone much. If you like what you're listening to, if you love this podcast, if you like this podcast, if you want to hear this podcast again, do me a favor, if you would, if you could go ahead and wherever you're listening to your favorite podcast, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, wherever, if you could just go ahead and subscribe or download or rate or review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you could go ahead and do that, man, I would enjoy that. I would like that so doggone much. And 
If you want to see me do my thing in terms of speaking about what is happening in the world of sports, if you want to see this uh, foolishly handsome, good-looking guy right here, especially speaking to the ladies, single ladies who are 43 and 47, 43 between the ages of 43 and 47, if you want to see this handsome devil do his thing, go over to my YouTube page, my YouTube channel, Wendell's World in Sports. You go ahead, you you like what you see, which... Uh, Hopefully you will go ahead and uh, download. Go ahead and uh, subscribe to my um, subscribe to my channel and uh, like my video. Would very much appreciate it. All right, a lot of things to speak about today in the world of sports. Because guess what, man? For the first time in a little bit, time for me to be speaking about some football, baby. It's about time for me to be speaking about what is happening in the world of football. As I mentioned before in my previous podcast, that when you're speaking about the new year. For the sports fan, the new year for the passionate fan, it starts the it starts somewhere around the time NFL training camp starts. So somewhere around the end or three weeks into July, when we start speaking about okay, man, what's happening? Let's get excited. Let's go. Let's let's, let's get the momentum started here. Let's talk start talking about the football and that type of thing. Now, man, we're on the precipice of like some uh, getting down on the get down with some football, and I'm excited, man. I am good. I am good and hot and bothered and ready for uh, some football. You know, when you're when you're in the when you're in the routine, when you're in that space where you're just waiting for the games to start, you try to be cool. You try to see what you can do to kind of distract your attention. You don't want to get too much into speaking about football in my case because you just start wanting it too much. You just start needing it too much. You just start all of a sudden now getting back to reality after you finish speaking about football and you look around and you realize that you're still a few weeks away or maybe a month away, depending upon when you first start talking about Who's going to be doing what? Who's going to be winning the NFC North? What what are the Green Bay Packers going to be doing? How is Patrick Mahomes going to do without Tyreek Hill? What about a situation where the Philadelphia Eagles now, do they really have the juice? Do they really have the personnel? More importantly, do they really have the quarterback to be the champions of the NFC East? I mean, so we start speaking about our football teams and we start prognosticating we start speaking about that and then we start trying to see about our fantasy football teams and we start speaking about and talking about and looking and educating ourselves about parlays that we want to put down and we start doing all these things knowing that the football season is still maybe four to five to six weeks away so when you get away from that and you go back to the reality of the lateness of june or the earliness of july and you don't have Wimbledon to keep yourself occupied. You don't have the NBA Summer League to keep yourself occupied. You don't maybe have some of the news going out of other sports to keep yourself occupied. And all you've got is baseball to deal with. And you know, again, that the football season is not going to be starting until near the end of August, going into September. And that Labor Day seems so far off. And the temperature is hot outside and you really can't do anything because if you live out here in Las Vegas... And the temperature on the regular when you're speaking about the summer months of June and July and August. And you speak about the temperature out here being about 115 goddamn fucking degrees. <laughs> and there's really nothing that you can do. You're kind of trapped. You're kind of trapped in your little space here with Saturdays and Sundays. You don't have anything to do and anything to watch. Except for maybe a Major League Baseball game. If that's the case, I'd rather turn to HN. H&L and have me watch shows about serial killers. So, um, 
yeah, now that uh, we can see the starting point for the start of the NFL season, which is a couple of weeks away, and to keep us great company until the NFL season starts, we have college football, and we have these games coming up on Labor Day. Ooh, boy, doesn't it feel good? Ooh, man, it feels good. So as I mentioned before, hey, man, if you're up there and you still got some stuff to do in terms of honey-do lists or you still need your man to be doing some things or you need your girlfriend to be doing some things or you still need to take that quick little vacation, that quick little getaway with the family, go ahead and do it now, man. Go ahead and do it right now because uh, starting this Thursday, this upcoming Thursday, even with Labor Day coming up, man, we've got some fantastic games in college football. And then after that, the last holiday of the summer, then we start getting into the regular. And we in the summer turns to fall and the autumn leaves and all this kind of stuff, depending upon where you are in the country. And finally out here, the temperature can dip below 106. This is the last time we get to go ahead and do some things with the fam. So go ahead and uh, do those things because, as I mentioned before, Starting Thursday, this upcoming Thursday, college football starts. And then the Thursday after that, we have Thursday night football, the start of the NFL season. And then it's all hands on deck in terms of what we're going to be doing on our Saturdays and Sundays. And I don't care, man. I'm talking about 8 to 80, dumb, crippled, and crazy. If you love the NFL, if you're a real sports fan, this is what it is all about. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, Week zero started on uh, Saturday. I'm recording this on the Sunday afternoon. Just got back from church. I had to let the parishioners know that, uh, hey, you know, God bless you and all those type of things. But uh, this is the last time you're going to be seeing me for about four months because on Sundays from now on, it's going to be all about football, baby. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, the services out here to where I was attending church during the summer for about four or five weeks, they start at 10 a.m. The games on the West Coast start at 10 a.m. Now, it might sound blasphemous, and it might sound terrible, and it might make me a horrible human being to say that I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose watching football over praising the Lord. But let me tell you something right now. I praise the Lord Monday through Sunday. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to the Lord's house to give my thanks and to ask for my forgiveness and ask the Lord for me to be a better Christian and a better person. I don't need a church. I don't need Sunday service for me to do that. Why? Because I do that from Monday through Sunday and then back to Monday and then Sunday again, baby. I'm not going to be willfully sinning Monday through Saturday and then Sunday wash away my sins thinking I'm going to be washing away all my sins by going to church. No. Now, I'm an imperfect person, so hey, it is what it is, but you know, I'm not, I'm, don't, don't try to throw that guilt trip on me about you're choosing football over the Lord. Lord have mercy. He's choosing football over the Lord. No, I'm choosing football because it's my routine. It's my ritual. And I can always praise the Lord. I always praise the Lord and I always ask for his forgiveness. And I always try to be the best person that I can be for the Lord all the time, not just on Sunday. So don't hit me with that guilt trip. Mm-mm. So as I told, as I told the parishioners, I was like, man, God bless you. Good to see you. It was right. Nice being with you, but I'll see y'all in January minimum. So, uh, yeah, college football and the NFL are back in town and the college football season week zero this past season or this past, um, weekend or this weekend, um, uh, yesterday started off the season, the best game of the day, of course, or the most important game of the day, of course, or the two teams with, I guess, which I guess 
are going to garner the most uh, attention when you talk about the games that were on yesterday. The best game of the day was Northwestern over Nebraska, coming back to beat Nebraska 31-28 in Dublin, Ireland. Um, For those who are Scott Frost fans, not a good start for your head coach with the Cornhuskers' seventh straight loss going back to last season. Frost took the blame for a failed onside kick that changed the momentum of the game in the third quarter. It's a situation where, hey, man, you know, he needs to be doing some things. We all know about the situation with Scott Frost. We all know the storyline surrounding Scott Frost. We all know that this was the guy to play for Tom Osborne, quarterback, won a national championship, I believe, with Nebraska. Last time Nebraska won a uh, national championship, then um, went and uh, did some things as a coach down at one of the schools in Florida, and then it was the son coming back home to try to turn around a program that had sort of flatlined and it sort of become irrelevant when you're speaking about the elites of college football. If you're speaking about Tom Osborne and Dave Devine and the Nebraska Cornhuskers of the 1960s and the or the 1970s or the 1980s, you're speaking about a program that was among the elites of college pro of uh, college football programs and uh, they were there for a long time but uh you know a situation where they switch conferences and other things contributed to where nebraska fell off that perch and scott frost was supposed to be the guy after he a successful season where i believe central florida his last uh, season at central florida i believe that was the school that he was coaching at lost either no games or one game and so he was the guy that was going to come back, and everybody was talking about, you know, how wonderful and how awesome and what a great fit Scott Frost was to go from Central Florida to Nebraska and bring those recruiting pipelines and bring those recruits and bring the fertile ground that he was recruiting when he was at Central Florida, i.e. Florida, and bring it back to Nebraska. If you remember Tom Osborne, when when you speak about his success and when he was at the pinnacle of his coaching success, it was a situation where he was getting a lot of these players from the state of Florida. In fact, uh, the best quarterback that uh, ever played for Tom Osborne was a Florida guy. So, I mean, this was a situation where Frost was going to open up that pipeline, that fertile recruiting ground in Florida, which he had so much much success coaching a non-Power 5 school. Well, it was going to be a situation where he could, you know, elevate the Nebraska program by doing that. Tommy Frazier was the quarterback for Tom Osborne, who really elevated him again. He was from Florida and elevated the Nebraska program even higher and did something that Turner Gill and Mike Rozier and those guys, the 1982 Nebraska team, couldn't do, which was win Tom Osborne a national championship. So everything was supposed to be fine and dandy and supposed to be great and wonderful. So, But so far, it hasn't been that way. And it's a good situation or it's a probable argument to make that if Scott Frost wasn't Scott Frost, that Nebraska would have gotten rid of him by now. When you're speaking about his record, despite the fact that a lot of his games as coach of, of the Cornhuskers were, you know, single, single digit losses. I mean, there are very few times in his tenure at Nebraska that Nebraska was uh, blown out or embarrassed, even though they've had those type of ass whoopings too. But for the most part, Scott uh, Frost has done a good job keeping the Cornhuskers in the game. They just haven't been winning them. But we're speaking about college football here. You don't get 
you know, you don't get participation trophies and you don't get kudos for keeping the game close. You either win or either you lose. So whether you lose 15 to 13 or 60 to nothing, it really doesn't make a difference. A loss is a loss. And Nebraska has experienced too many of those under the Scott Frost era in Nebraska or at Nebraska so far. So coming into the season, it was a deal where, hey, man, Scott Frost has got to do some things. He's got to make things happen. He's got to turn things around. What does that entail? What does that define? What are they talking about where they say that? Are we speaking about double-digit wins? Are we speaking about nine wins? Are we speaking about certain victories that can maybe save him if he doesn't reach double digits and wins? What is the criteria? Only Scott Frost knows and a couple of others. But losing to a team in Northwestern that was picked to finish last in the Big Ten West this season that only won three games last season and a team in which Nebraska smoked 56-7 to last year and losing in typical Nebraska fashion with Scott Frost being their coach does not bode well for the long-term chances of Scott Frost uh, remaining the head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. When you're speaking about, again, going back to that onside kick, which failed. Nebraska at the time was up 28-17. With 9.09 left to go in the third quarter, the onside kick was attempted. Northwestern recovered, then went five plays, 44 yards, a minute 16 off the clock, scored a touchdown. Instead of it being 28-17 with Northwestern having to go a full field or much farther to try to score, they basically, Nebraska, with that onside kick, which was directed the, which was uh, Scott Frost's idea, five plays, 44 yards, a minute to 16 third quarter, a lot of game left to go. All of a sudden, it was 28-24. And of course, the argument is, why in the hell are you going for an onside kick when you're only up 28-17 with so much time left to go in the game? Now, if Scott Frost was on was not on such shaky ground, the Scott Frost didn't have the type of uh, seat that was smoking hot when it comes to his job security, then maybe somehow, some way, that he could explain it a little bit better in some of the anger and some of the outrage and some of the disgust and some of the um, uh, head uh, scratching for that decision would be a little bit less. But when you're in Scott Frost's position and something like that doesn't happen in terms of recovering the onside kick, and on top of that, Nebraska not only recovers the onside kick, they go down and score and it's like, oh Lord, here we go again because we've seen this so many times that Nebraska under Scott Frost where they have these moments where they look like a really good football team or a competent football team or a competitive football team. And then they do things like this. It goes back to coaching. And again, so when something like that happens and it doesn't work, Scott Frost is going to get the the majority of the what the hell's going on here? What's wrong with this guy? This is terrible. This is horrible. So, yeah, man, Nebraska, as I, as I mentioned before, the... Record for Frost now stands at 15 and 30. Of those losses, 21 of those 30 losses have come uh, in a one-score difference. Every loss last season where they were 3 and 9 were by single digits, but it doesn't matter. Every single year, especially since people have been questioning whether Frost is the right guy for the job of being the head coach at the uh, University of Nebraska. I mean, he's always pointed to, hey, we'll get the thing turned around. We'll get the thing turned around. We're right there. We're close. And yeah, they might be close. But, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over in terms of the losses that you're having, and you could say one score difference, of course, you can make the argument by saying, man, the one score difference, they're right there. 
I mean, we're not getting blown out. There's not like 21 of my losses that come by double digits or we haven't been competitive and that type of thing. It doesn't matter, man. Now, if you're a big Scott Frost fan, yes, hey, one score difference, just one play here, one moment there, one bad call here, one lucky play there by the other team, and we're looking at a whole different scenario. We're taking a look at a whole different book that we're going to be reading about the accomplishments and about the tenure of Scott Frost as the head coach of Nebraska. But guess what? Doesn't work that way. You're either winning or you're losing. 15 to 30 at Nebraska does not get it. And we wanted something like that, and we wanted something a little bit better than that. We never would have got rid of the coach before him and sent him back to Youngstown State against uh, Northwestern yesterday, Saturday, in, in Ireland. Defense gave up 528 total yards, allowed Ryan Helinski to throw for 314 yards and two touchdowns, completing 27 of the 38 passes. The black shirts are black and blue once again. Nebraska led 14-3 early in the second quarter after putting together two Touchdown drives under new quarterback Casey Thompson, who is almost sort of kind of like Scott Frost in his first uh, tenure in terms of him being the quarterback to transfer from Texas. He looked good. He looked really good. In some spots, he made some throws. He made some plays that made you say, hey, wait a minute, man. We got ourselves a quarterback. In some spots, but then there were the mistakes. And then there was a situation where, you know, hey, after being up 14-3, Nebraska responded with two scores. The second score was an 82-yard drive that ended with a touchdown with 25 seconds left in the first half to put Northwestern ahead 17-14 after going into the halftime. So again, Nebraska's up early, 14-3. Two touchdown drives under Casey Thompson. This guy looks good. The team looks good. The offense looked good. The new offensive coordinator. I know watching the game a little bit on television, these guys were speaking about uh, Whipple, the new offensive coordinator. He's the guy that's going to be making the calls. He's the guy that's going to be making the plays. He's the guy that's going to be calling the plays. Scott Frost, as they kept mentioning before, didn't have the headset on. So I guess what they were saying was, if a bad play is called, don't blame Scott Frost on this one. This guy doesn't even have his headsets on. He doesn't even know what uh, Whipple is calling down to the quarterback for the play to run. So you can't blame him on that one. Well, we can't blame again. Scott Frost, game management. We can't blame him again on the fact that Nebraska was inconsistent in terms of their aptitude to remain at a level that would uh, cause them to win a football game. And again, we're not speaking about this collapse coming up against a team that's going to be ranked in the top 10 or one of the teams that's going to be uh, predicting to win the Big Ten. This is not a situation where they did this against Penn State or Michigan State or Michigan, or Ohio State. This was Northwestern. This was supposed to be not quite a layup, but an easy six-foot jump shot in which you could either swish it in or use the bank shot. And uh, they missed. They missed, they missed, they missed. So with the upcoming schedule for Nebraska, if I could just take a look at this, the upcoming schedule, they've got uh, North Dakota State, then Georgia State before playing the home game against North uh, North, um, Oklahoma, excuse me. Something's going to tell me that, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that they're going to beat North Dakota State and Georgia State. And I think the state of Nebraska is sitting there saying, yeah, you you better beat North Dakota State. What are you, nuts? You better beat Georgia State, man. Those are two layups. I mean, those are just, we're supposed to be going into the game against Oklahoma 3-0. We're supposed to be having some momentum. This is the game coming up. And I think the... 
Oklahoma game. I think the Oklahoma game is um, September 17th, right? I think it's September 17th. This could be the game that could decide whether Scott Frost will be the coach at Nebraska, not just for the 2023 season, but finishing out the 2022 season. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give Nebraska wins against North Dakota State and Georgia State. And I'm going to give them wins in terms of them winning comfortably, them doing what they're supposed to be doing. I'll give them that. But man, that game against Oklahoma. And for Oklahoma, it's going to be a game where it's going to be like, okay, let's see what Brett Venables, the uh, new coach for the Sooners. Let's see what he's got. Let's see what he's cooking with. Let's see what he's bringing to the table. Let's see who he's going to to dance with. It'll be an interesting game for both of those programs in where they're standing. The difference is if Nebraska beats Oklahoma, Brent Venables is not going to be in jeopardy of losing his job. The worst case scenario happens and Oklahoma loses to, excuse me, Nebraska loses to Oklahoma, who used to be one of their fierce rivals when they were in the Big Eight. Then I don't know, man. It doesn't look good for Scott Frost finishing the season. Now, who knows, man? The college football season is a long season. It's not as topsy-turvy, ups and down as the National Football League, where you're speaking about games in September for the NFL really meaning nothing. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it would be a bad sign. It would be a bad omen if Nebraska cannot uh, beat um, Oklahoma. Even if it's a one-score game, it doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything because that's what Scott Frost does. He loses games by single digits. Whoop de damn do. Again, there's no participation trophy for that. There's no bowl games that you can go to. We, but welcome to the uh, single loss bowl game. We have Nebraska versus. No, nah, it doesn't happen. So it'll be interesting to see what happens as Nebraska moves forward in the short term, both as a football program and for head coach Scott Frost. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host. Wonder Wall is so glad that you could be with us. 11 games that were played in week zero of the NFL season. We had Florida, excuse me, Florida college football season. Florida State over Dunquies. We had Utah State over UConn, spoiling the return of Jim Mora, who was now the head coach at UConn. They uh, lost 31-20 to the Aggies of Utah State. North Carolina over FAMU, the Florida, Florida Atlantic or Florida... Uh, Florida A&M University. Why am I saying Florida Atlantic? My bad. Florida A&M University, FAMU. Uh, Illinois over uh, Wyoming, 38-6. Alabama in the Howard game. I was watching that as much as I could. And then RG3 started going on and on. And I said, next. So, uh, yeah, there were some good games, of course. But, you know, that was just for college football, week zero. Even the Nebraska-Northwestern game, that was just the appetizer. The main course, the real season of college football is going to be starting next or this upcoming Thursday. This was just to whet your whistle. This was just to whet your appetite. We've got coming up next Thursday, we've got Central Michigan at number 12, Oklahoma State. We've got West Virginia at number 17, Pittsburgh. The border war in which those two schools, I know, I know, I know, they don't like each other. Penn State is going to be at Purdue. Uh, Minnesota is going to be hosting New Mexico State. Then Friday, you have Michigan State, ranked number 15. They're going to be playing Western Michigan. And, oh, boy, 
No, golly. We've got Saturday's games in which we have Colorado State at number 8 Michigan. We have number 13 NC State playing at East Carolina. Utah State is at Alabama, who's the preseason number one ranked team in the country. I'm going to be interested in this game also. I know it's going to be on the Longhorn Network. I don't think I have the Longhorn Network out here in uh, Vegas, but uh, I'm going to be interested more so than ever about the game between Louisiana Monroe playing Texas. And the reason why I'm going to be interested is because of Quinn Ewers, who was supposed to be the end-all, the be-all. I mean, before there was Arch Manning, and before there was all these other guys, before and coming after, Quinn Ewers was supposed to be that guy that was going to, wherever program that he was going to be going to, that was going to be a different maker, a Heisman Trophy candidate, one of the best prospects coming out in years when he was in high school as a junior. Even sometimes, I think as a sophomore, he was considered either the best or one of the best quarterbacks in high school, regardless of class. He went to Ohio State. He didn't get any time. He saw how great C.J. Stroud was, and he said, I'm out of here. And he's from the same high school down there in, uh, I think, Austin, the Austin, Texas area. And he went to the same school that Drew Brees went to, so the pedigree. He, he went to a really good high school, a powerhouse football program in Texas, and we know how the state of Texas regards their high school football. But he was, you know, regarded at the time one of the the best quarterbacks at the time and one of the better quarterbacks to come out of the state of Texas and all this kind of stuff. So he went to Ohio State, didn't do anything. Now he's transferring back to um, his home state of Texas and he's going to be playing for the University of Texas. I think that was probably one of the mitigating factors also why Tom Herman the previous coach at Texas lost his job was because of his inability to get Quinn Ewers when he decided to go and commit to Ohio State. Now, Steve Sarkeesian not only has Ewers as the starting quarterback, he also has coming in Arch Manning, um, I don't know, but Peyton and Eli's cousin or some nonsense like that. I think he's Cooper Manning's son. He's supposed to be the end-all, the be-all. Him and Malachi Nelson are supposed to be one-two in terms of the draft or in terms of the um, high school quarterbacking and top players and everything. Well, Arch Manning, who was being recruited by everybody, he decided to go to Texas, but Quinn Ewers is going to be there. So even with the season that Quinn Ewers might have down there at Texas, he's going to have some immediate competition and a spotlight for that starting quarterback position is going to be hot when Arch Manning comes into play. I don't know if he's going to try to graduate early from uh, the high school. He's down there in uh, New Orleans, Newman, the same high school that uh, Peyton and Eli and all them play uh, quarterback at. I don't know if Arch is going to try to graduate early from high school and then go on up for spring football and try to get inundated and acclimated to the college life and to the playbook and to college football with um, with Texas. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm interested to see exactly how great this Quinn Ewers really is. So Louisiana Monroe versus Texas on Saturday is going to be one of the games that I'm really going to be interested in watching to see not just how Quinn Ewers do, does, but also when you're speaking about Steve Sarkeesian, coming into a second season and the disappointment uh, that was Texas in his first season. So all of those things is going to make me very much intrigued in terms of what's going to be happening with that football game. As we know, Texas is looking to move to the SEC in a couple of years. So this will be some good testing ground this season to see how well they're going to do, not just with the quarterback of the present, Quinn Ewers, but also 
with the head coach, Steve Sarkeesian. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The best games of the weekend, though, when we're speaking about the upcoming college football schedule, number 11, Oregon, is going to be at number 3, Georgia. The defending champions will open their season against their old defensive coordinator, Dan Lemming. Going to be interesting. I, I, I really thought I really thought going into the season that uh, Georgia would be number one. But it was a situation where, oh yeah, I forgot, they lost almost all of their, uh, they lost almost all of their, their defensive players. Interesting though, I don't say, I'm not going to use the word punish. I don't, when you, when you, when you go into the season rank number three, there's no such thing as the Georgia Bulldogs being punished uh, or somehow, some way being dinked. But I wonder if this was Alabama coming off a season like this, would they be ranked number one or number two? Or Alabama who lost the championship game to Georgia. They're the preseason number one. I'm wondering how much of that is based on because it's Nick Saban and what Alabama has done in the past that we kind of give them the benefit benefit of the doubt to say, well, yeah, they lost their wide receivers, but the transfers they have coming in, they must be great because Alabama doesn't uh, pick bum-ass transfers to go play football at their school. So if they're going to be playing wide receiver at Alabama, if they're going to be playing running back at Alabama, if they're going to be replacing someone along the offensive or defensive line or in the secondary because they are at Alabama, because they were recruited by Nick Saban, because they had the coaching of the staff and had a year to acclimate themselves to uh, to Alabama football and college football as such, and because of the recruiting rankings that Alabama had coming in, that the first-round NFL draft picks for Alabama are going to be replaced by future NFL draft picks. So we're just going to go on the assumption that Alabama is going to be A-OK because the people that they have coming in to replace those that were important, that were impactful for Alabama winning will be either just as good, better, or nearly as good to where the drop-off won't be that much. Despite the fact that Kirby Smart had a fantastic couple of years of recruiting don't know if Georgia is quite at that level yes, uh, yet. Now, when you speak about the players that they lost, especially along that defensive line, and you're speaking about the defending champions starting the season at number three behind Alabama and Ohio State, again, it's no disrespect. But we're starting to get into territory where Georgia is reloading. When they rebuild, they reload, and they reload with a bazooka not with just an AK-47. So I'm going to be interested to see exactly what Georgia is going to be looking like both on the offensive side of the line and also on the defensive side of the line. How how long is Kirby Smart and this Georgia defense with a new defensive coordinator going to have to um, gel? What are going to be the expectations of Georgia's defense? Now, Jalen Carter, who's the only returning defensive lineman He's projected to be a high first-round draft pick. He's going to be joined by a redshirt junior, Zion Lounge, who is expected to start next to uh, Carter up front, while junior Nazir Stackhouse and Warren Brinson are planned to uh, rotate in to form, that, uh, to form that defensive line. But yet still, this is a situation where they're not going to be as potent, they're not going to be as devastating as they were last season. But we're speaking about a Georgia defense also that was regarded as one of the best defenses over the last 15 or 20 years so if they come 80 percent close to that if they come 60 to 75 percent close to that 
of what they were last season on defense, uh, they're going to be A-OK, especially when we're speaking about the SEC East, where Florida looked like it's going to be the only challenge for Georgia as far as supremacy in terms of winning the SEC Eastern crown in that conference. And then when you move over to the offensive side of the football for Georgia, you have Stetson Bennett, you have uh, the sophomore tight end who's going to be one of the best uh, tight ends in the game. For for one thing, which was always interesting, is the fact that, you know, Stetson Bennett, I don't know if he's ever going to get the, um, I don't know if he's ever going to get the, the respect that he deserves, despite the fact that uh, he was the quarterback for a Georgia team that won a national championship. And isn't it interesting? Listen to the way I just said that. Stetson Bennett was the quarterback for a Georgia team that won the national championship. Subconsciously, what am, what am I saying about that? What am I saying when I say that right there? What I'm saying is that Stetson Bennett was nothing more than a game manager. Or Stetson Bennett was the guy who wasn't the real reason or one of the main reasons why Georgia won themselves a championship. It wasn't a situation where I said Stetson Bennett was the quarterback for Georgia who won the national championship or, you know, Stetson Bennett won Georgia championship. You know, we, we, we say that when we speak about great quarterbacks. We saw that, we say that when we speak about a Bryce Young if he would do something like that or a CJ Stroud if he would do something like that or before him when we speak about a Mac Jones or maybe a Justin Fields. It's a, it's a quarterback who's engineering the greatness. He who's engineering the victories, who's engineering and dictating where this season is going to go for their teams, especially when you're speaking about the elite teams of college football for Georgia, it was, yeah, Stetson Bennett was along for the ride. Stetson Bennett, even coming from this man right here, Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports, can't get some of the respect that he deserves, I feel, in some instances, but he's the quarterback. And he plays a quarterback style. He plays in the quarterback system that fits perfectly to what Kirby Smart wants to do. It'll be interesting right now, as I mentioned before on previous podcasts, the way Kirby Smart is running his offense. It almost seems like Nick Saban back in like between 2009 and 2013, 2014, somewhere around there where he's not relying on that quarterback. He's not relying on a first-round franchise quarterback. He's not relying on someone like that in terms of the offense being potent. And I think he's still relying on his defense doing enough for them to win football games and offense doing enough to win football games. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a situation where not one side of the ball is more dominant than the others. Even in college football where you don't have a salary cap, where in the NFL, you can really only put your eggs as far dominance and concern on one side of the football. In the NFL, you can't have, for consistent years, a dominant offense and defense because the salary cap will not allow that. So what part of the team are we going to build to be more dominant than the others? Is it going to be the defensive line? Is it going to be the defense? Is it going to be the quarterback? Is it going to be the running back? Is it going to be the skill positions on offense? What exactly, where exactly are we going to lay the groundwork for our success and our foundation? College football, you can go out and recruit and pay under the table and NIL. You can have an awesome defense and offense on a consistent basis. You recruit, recruit well enough, but I still feel that Kirby Smart is still kind of channeling in and focusing in more on his defense being the catalyst for success. And not his offense, which means that, hey, for us, 
speaking of Georgia, for us to be successful, we don't need a Bryce Young. We don't need a C.J. Stroud. We don't need like a Kenny Pickett or a Matt Corral in the, in the numbers that they put up last year for Mississippi and for um, Pittsburgh last year. I, I don't need Stetson Bennett throwing for 4,700 yards. I don't need Stetson Bennett throwing for over 40 touchdowns. I don't need I don't need Stetson Bennett throwing four or four, four or 500 times. That's not how we play football on offense. So for those, he's just a game manager. He da, 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 da. That's exactly what Kirby Smart wants. That's exactly how Kirby Smart runs his offense. And if you take a look at his success, especially now since winning a national championship, how can you argue with the man? Now, now maybe it's a situation where, hey, that might only work for one season and eventually you are going to have to kind of update your offense and get it moving a little bit more by getting himself a quarterback who can sling it, who can throw it, who could be a real difference maker. But for that, for right now, Kirby Smart sees nothing wrong with how Stetson Bennett plays the game of football and how Stetson Bennett is such a huge, um, such a huge piece of what Georgia is trying to do in its totality and on offense and where it's going as a program, which is competing for championships, 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 which puts them amongst the elites of the elites for years to come. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So yes, so the game between the game between Georgia and um, Oregon is going to be is going to be a dandy. But of course, the game of the week, which I'm a little bit nervous, man. I gotta t- <laughs> I gotta tell you because I never thought I'd say this. I haven't been I haven't been a fan of theirs since the Tyrone Willingham era. But uh, Notre Dame going up against Ohio State, the new era of college football. And then the history of the Notre Dame program starts on Saturday, this upcoming Saturday. Now, you could say that this started in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. It really starts in earnest this Saturday against Ohio State. Marcus Freeman, the new head coach for Notre Dame, 36 years old, never been a head coach, was a defensive coordinator for Cincinnati for four years, was the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame for one season, under Brian Kelly. Hmm. Boy, Brian Kelly goes to LSU, uh, takes his Louisiana accent out of his bag and takes it down to Baton Rouge. I'm a little bit nervous, man. I'm a little bit nervous about Marcus Freeman. Now, I think he's the guy, if they let him do his thing, I think that he's a guy that's going to uh, help Notre Dame push it up another level. Notre Dame is starting the season ranked number five in the country. It's the highest preseason ranking that they've had since 2006 when they were ranked number two. Ty Butcher is the new starting quarterback for Notre Dame. Made substantial progress. Possessions, uh, possesses excellent agility. Appears to have a good command of the offense. Michael Myers is going to be one of the best tight ends in the country. Called over 70 passes last season. The most reliable skill player on the team, especially when you speak about them trying to inundate new wide receivers and running backs. Just a little bit nervous because um, I think Ohio State is going to blow them out. And I think it's going to start with unwanted scrutiny toward Marcus Freeman if that happens. Man, that's a tough, tough, tough challenge for anybody. You're speaking about, uh, I don't care what the program is. You're speaking about a guy 36 years old, never been a head coach, 
with the pressures and the spotlight and the attention that's going to be focused on him, when you're speaking about him taking over a program at Notre Dame, a, a, a Notre Dame program to where they don't go after nonsense like that. Didn't they try that once with Gary Faust, the high school coach? Didn't they try to quote-unquote think outside the box? The one time that they did that, you can maybe say Tyron Willingham because of the color of his skin with another player, with another coach that they quote-unquote thought outside the box in getting at their head coach for their football program. But, I mean, you know, this isn't Era Parsekian. This isn't Lou Holtz. This isn't Frank Leahy. This isn't Nuke Rockley. I mean, this is a situation where, I mean, Notre Dame is taking a chance with this guy. And they're taking a chance with a guy not only that is going to be open for scrutiny because of not just the color of his skin, but because of his inexperience and his age. Is he going to be a situation where he's going to be the next Lou Holtz? Or even Brian Kelly, who wound up being the coach with the most victories in Notre Dame football history? Is he going to be on that level? I'm not even talking about Leahy and Parsegian and Rockney and the impact and the championships that they won. But I'm speaking about, is he going to be close to Holtz or Kelly? Or is he going to be the next Jerry Fouts? Is he going to be the next Tyrone Willingham? It's going to be interesting. I hope that he does well. Because whether he likes it or not, and I mentioned this when speaking about Notre Dame, I mentioned this when you're speaking about Marcus Freeman becoming the head coach of the uh, football program. When you're speaking about such an historic program such as Notre Dame it puts a lot of attention and this unfairly so puts a lot of pressure on Marcus Freeman because this could make or break opportunities for qualified black men or women to be head football coaches down the line that's unfair man that's unfair and I know it's unfair but come on man look at the world that we're living in right This is a situation where it's a copycat league. And let me tell you something. Breaking down barriers, whether we're speaking about for blacks, whether we're speaking about for Latinos, whether we're speaking about for Asians, whether we're speaking about for women, whether whether we're speaking about for gay or lesbian, whatever. We can have all the marching and the protesting and doing all those type of things. It's all about performance, man. It's all about getting it done. And Marcus Freeman is a good father. Marcus Freeman is a good guy, you know. As they said in Glengarry Ross, you're a good father. Fuck you. Go home and play with your kids and you can't win football games at Notre Dame. Doesn't matter how many student athletes that you recruit that become doctors and lawyers and social workers and help change the world. It doesn't matter. This is big time college football. You have got to win. And if Barker Freeman doesn't win, no matter what the team's GPA is, no matter how many Roach scholars he produces, no matter no matter how many fine young athletes he he uh, produces, no matter how many what his graduation percentage is, if he does not win, and if he does not win big, he's gone. He's gone, and and what will that mean if that happens for the advancement of qualified black head coaches getting the opportunity don't give me integration give me truth communication don't give me sorrow i want equal opportunity to live tomorrow i'm not talking about giving anybody nothing i'm talking about giving qualified 
qualified black head coaches the opportunity for head coaching jobs. And I'm not just talking about jobs in the MAC or the MEAC or the SWAC or the Mountain West. I'm talking about schools in the Power Five conferences. I'm talking about damn good schools. Marcus Freeman is the linchpin. Marcus Freeman is the guy that could really open up some doors. It's not fair, man. It is not fair. It shouldn't be on his shoulders. I know that. But again, this is the world that we're living in. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us and getting down to my Ohio State Buckeyes, man. Number two in the country. I predicted that these guys are going to blow out Notre Dame. And it'll be interesting to see if this is going to be, quote-unquote, the best chance that Ohio State has uh, – the best chance that Ohio State has in the Ryan Day era to win themselves a championship. If you take a look at the offense, now the offense was absolutely um, outrageously fantastic last uh, year. But especially at the beginning of the season, there were some bumps and bruises when you're speaking about those guys bringing in some new players or speaking about a, 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 a then a redshirt freshman quarterback first time starting when you're speaking about the backcourt mainly a backcourt the backfield mainly being um freshman you know it was some, there was some time there where they had to uh, kind of gel and get their groove together and uh, kind of form that chemistry as such but when they did despite the fact that their defense at times were absolutely horrendous they still had an outstanding season by most accounts now when you lose to Michigan, when you don't play for the national championship, when you don't make the final four, and when you lose two games, that for you know mo- most teams, that's awesome, that's fantastic, but for Ohio State, that's a disappointing season. I think Ohio State now is in position for this season to really be a team that if you take a look and you say, all right, and of course being ranked number two in the country, of course this answer is going to be obvious because they're ranked number two in the country. But when you take a look at the elite teams of college football this season and you say, which team has the best chance of upending Alabama? It always comes back to Alabama, despite the fact they didn't win the national championship last year. But they're ranked number one this year. So who has the best chance to win the national championship if it's not going to be Alabama or if it's not going to be someone in the SEC? The obvious choice is going to be Ohio State. Opportunity to be one of the best offensive units in the country. Finished 20, the 2021 season. Number one in total and scoring offense in the country. Do you realize up there in Columbus that they could have three potential Heisman Trophy candidates? Now, I know because of that, they're going to um, probably cancel each other out. But if there's going to be someone, that, someone that's going to be representing Ohio State, in New York for the Heisman Trophy. It's going to be C.J. Stroud, who finished fourth in the Heisman Trophy voting last uh, year. First year as a starter, redshirt freshman, threw for about 4,400 yards, 44 touchdowns, just six interceptions, completed 72% of his passes. You have Jackson Smith at Enigma, I hope N-I-N-J-I-G-B-A, whatever, set the single game and season, uh, season records for both receptions and receiving yards by the end of 2021. And this was a guy who was doing this while playing with Garrett Wilson, drafted number one by the New York Jets, and Chris Olave, who was drafted, I believe, by what, the uh, Detroit Lions? Was it the Lions? Check it for me, will you? So uh, he's going to be there. You have Trayvon Henderson, rushed for 15 touchdowns, averaged almost seven yards per carry, ran for over 1,200 yards as a freshman, and his backup is just as good and just as productive. The questions are going to be about defense, man. 
We mentioned before, Ohio State's going to be fine, we would think, on offense. What about defense? Jim Knowles, the new defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State. Cowboys were one of the best defenses in the country under his leadership last uh, season. They finished first in sacks, third in total defense, eighth in points allowed. And you got to be thinking that with some of the guys that they have coming back for Ohio State, I'm, I'm, they have a couple of uh, five-star was ranked number one or number two or number three in their in their class on the defensive end. Jack Swoyer and this kid out of uh, the defensive tackle, the defensive lineman, defensive end out of uh, Seattle, the uh, Pacific Northwest that area, who was ranked, you know, in the top five, top ten overall in the recruiting class. Those two are now going to be sophomores. Those guys have been great in preseason so it looks like they're going to be an upgrade over what they had uh, last uh, season on defense so you bring in a new defensive coordinator who was speaking about you know he's already put in about 75 percent of the game plan 75 percent of what he wants to do with the defense the other 25 percent will be coming uh, very shortly will be rip roaring and ready to go by the time that they play notre dame it's going to be a statement game I wonder how much overreaction. Let's just say, for instance, that um, let's just say, for instance, that Ohio State blows them out, right? How much of a ooh ah ooh ee ow are we going to be uh, hearing about this victory if Ohio State looks awesome? How much is it going to be? Wow, Ohio State looks awesome. Alabama is in trouble compared to oh shit. Did you see Ohio? Did you see uh, Notre Dame? They suck. Uh-oh. This is going to be a long season. Blah 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 blah. They're going to play Clemson. They're going to play USC. Oh boy. Marcus Freeman. Oh boy. Oh boy. It'll be interesting just as far as going on as the season goes on. It'll be interesting to hear that type of chatter coming. So, yeah, man, the college football season is uh round around the corner. As I mentioned to you before, get all that bullshit, get all of the stuff that you need to get done before Thursday, get it done. Go out and get it done because the main appetizer is going to be starting to be, is going to be served on um, Thursday and it's going to continue through Labor Day. We haven't even spoke about Clemson. We haven't even spoke about LSU. There's so many other things that uh, I want to get into, but don't worry. It's the college football season. We've got plenty, plenty, plenty of time. So yeah, man, this, uh, Yesterday was just a nice little sample. This was just chips and salsa. The Bobby Flay, the uh, the, 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 the the five-star stuff that's going to be served when you're speaking about Notre Dame, Ohio State, when you're speaking about Georgia and um, Oregon, that, that type of stuff that really is going to introduce, that's going to bring in college football is going to be fantastic. I cannot wait, man. I cannot wait to watch it.
Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program. Welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Again, if you could do me a favor. iTunes, iHeart, 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 iTunes, 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 Spotify, Spotify, Amazon, anywhere where you listen to your podcast. Do me a favor, would you, man? Go ahead and uh, give me them five stars. I need them five stars. I want them five stars. I know you want to give me those five stars. You've got to give me those five stars. I would appreciate if you gave me those five stars. If I say five stars long enough, then you will subconsciously just go and click that five star. If you're already listening to this program, if you've gone this far, if you've come this far already, why don't you just go a little bit farther? If you really enjoy my program, why don't you go just a little bit farther? Go ahead and give me them five stars. Five stars. Go ahead and follow. Go ahead and rate. Go ahead and review. Go ahead and leave me a comment saying, that motherfucker be begging for five stars so goddamn much. He needs to stop. Do something. I appreciate it. But I really really do appreciate the time that you uh, take to uh, listen. I don't tell people that enough, but I really do. Mainly because if you're listening in Canada, if you're listening in Dubai, if you're listening in Perth, if you're listening in Germany, if you're listening in France, if you're listening in Brazil, if you're listening anywhere around the globe, I physically can't go over there and tell you that, hey man, I really appreciate, or hey lady, I really appreciate you listening to my podcast. But I want you to know that if you are listening to my podcast in those certain regions of the beautiful earth that we are living in, thank you so doggone much. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Look, the NFL preseason, one more game left. I really can't get into. I really don't want to get into. I really, really haven't been watching any preseason football. Just really can't do it. Can't do it. I know that uh, Sam Darnold uh, injured his knee. He's going to be out two to four weeks. Really doesn't matter because Baker Mayfield is was named the starter. Geno Smith was named the starter for the Seattle Seahawks, which means that I don't know what the Seahawks organization need to do, but I'd be doing everything humanly possible to try to get me Jimmy Garoppolo. We spoke about Deshaun Watson receiving an 11-game suspension. Don't need to go ahead and re revisit that uh, thought process. You know the deal with that. Um, Justin Fields had a good game. Tom Brady returned. It really doesn't mean anything, man, especially when it comes to my philosophy, especially when it comes to how I take a look at not just the preseason games, but also the regular season games. I just really, I, I just can't muster up any type of like emotion one way or the other about what the Kansas City football team or my Washington Commanders or the Cowboys or the Las Vegas Raiders. I just, I just can't really get into this. Oh my goodness gracious! Did you see what they did during the preseason? Good Lord, have mercy! I just can't do it. Wait, wait until, as I mentioned before, a little bit more into the season. And then I'll be uh, speaking a little bit more on that. But I do want to speak about something that happened in the NFL. The Buffalo Bills, they released Matt Ariza two days after the filing of a civil suit alleging the rookie punter. Now, I want you to remember that. The rookie punter. The rookie punter and two former San Diego State teammates gang-raped a minor in 2021. The Bills announced the move Saturday evening, came after mounting scrutiny about when the team was made aware of the allegations against Arizia, A-R-A-I-Z-A, A-R-A-I-Z-A, Arizia, 
and what diligence had been done regarding the litigation he was facing. Arazia traveled with the Bills to Carolina for the team's final preseason game on Friday against the Panthers, but he was held out of action at the Bills deliberated his future. So I guess you can say, what lessons... Were there any lessons, do you think, were there any lessons applied from the Buffalo Bills in terms of learning from the Deshaun Watson situation? Was there anything that they could take from that when you're speaking about when Arezia was released, how long it took them to be released? Was it the situation where they were trying to slide this under the radar and maybe this would go away or maybe this would be forgotten? I, I, what, what, what lessons were... Uh, was everything that went down with Deshaun Watson, did that have any type of play? Did that have any type of saying? Did that did that have any type of impact when you're speaking about the Bills finally doing the right thing and releasing uh, Arasia? Now, the Bills franchise gave Arasia the punishment that many people thought Cleveland should have given to Deshaun Watson. I, I, I doubt, seriously, seriously, especially not until... All of this goes away in terms of that there's going to be a criminal trial and everything. Uh, this, this man will not be punting in the NFL probably forever. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't see where a, a, a punter with that type of uh, with, with that type of mark on his on his reputation and on his character and stuff. If this is proved to be correct, and uh, in this day and age. Nine out of ten times when a woman comes with these type of accusations and allegations. I know innocent until proven guilty, but I'm going to already start on the I believe her more than the person uh, who's going to be like, ah, oh, no, no, hold on for a second. Let me go ahead. I, there's some things that need to come out. I, I just need to uh, go ahead and release this statement or uh, in, in time, in time, I will go ahead and I'll explain. This is just a misunderstanding here. Hold on for a second before you guys jump down my throat and start calling me names. I just need every, some things need to come out. I just need to do some things. I just need to qualify some things. I just need to talk to my lawyer about some things. I just need to see how much money is in my bank account for me to go ahead and see if I can pay her off. There's just some things that I need to kind of straighten out and this, that, and the other before I make a statement. But the one statement I will make is the fact that no, 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 this never happened, or no, 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 she's lying, or no, 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 it didn't go down like that, or, or any, whatever bullshit or whatever nonsense that men who commit these heinous, disgusting acts of violence, rape, assault against women, where they come out with a, whoa, hold on for a second, hold on, no, 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 hold on for a second, I'm going to believe the woman. I'm going to believe the woman. Now, if I'm proven wrong, I'm proven wrong. I'm not in the court of law. I'm in the court of public opinion. See, in the court of public opinion, you can already take sides to see whose side you're on in terms of who's lying and who's telling the truth. Now, give me the evidence and then let me see where the wind is going to blow me. If they're going to blow me more toward the woman who's making these allegations and we can erase the term or we can erase the word allegations because in my mind after hearing the facts and after hearing everything that I'm going to go on the assumption that this atrocity, this crime was committed or if there's going to be a situation where there's going to be information coming out to where I am going to be having second thoughts on this situation. I'm not... As I mentioned before, I'm not the judge and in, in, in jury in sentencing. I'm just a guy, as I mentioned before, on the outside looking in to uh, see how this is all going to pan out. But as of right now, what we learned 
when we're speaking about the society, when we're speaking about this world, and when we're speaking about how women are treated in this world and in the society, um, I'm going to, in this case, believe the woman because for decades and decades and decades before, you would always go with the man, especially if you're speaking about a man of any type of power or financial um, uh, influence or, 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 some, or if he had uh, the financial resources or he was put into a uh, public spotlight or a, or, or a public discourse to say, well, I know him and I don't know her and we know how women are and we know how these women are and we know how these women act by stereotypes and by ignorance and by uh, miseducation. So I'm going to go with this guy here. I mean, this, that, the other. So, you know, it's a brand new day in this country. Um, I'm going to be going on the side of the woman. But, again, getting back to this whole Deshaun Watson thing, should the Buffalo Bills, could the Buffalo Bills take anything that they learned? And the fact that, hey man, Deshaun Watson received 11 games. This kicker was released. Why didn't Deshaun Watson receive the same amount of treatment? Especially when you're speaking about, yeah, gang rape. Gang rape and everything that Arizia had is alleged of doing is, is heinous. But is it any less heinous? Is it more heinous to what Deshaun Watson did? Now, you know... What they both did is disgusting. I don't. I don't like. I don't like putting sexual assault in terms of well, this is bad, but this is worse. All sexual assault is bad, no matter rape or no matter if, you know, no matter what Deshaun Watson did, which is alleged to doing, or what uh, this guy Arizia is alleged to doing. All of it is horrible. All of it is terrible. All of it is bad, and all of it should be dealt very firmly and very harshly. But. Deshaun Watson is still going to have an NFL career. He's still going to be making boatloads of money. He's still going to have the spotlight on him. And he's still going to come back this season and be the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns moving forward. This guy, Ariza, is going to probably never play in the NFL. Why didn't Deshaun Watson get that type of uh, punishment? Big difference. It's easier to do the right thing when it comes to a six-round rookie punter compared to a franchise top five Hall of Fame QB making $230 million like Deshaun Watson. Welcome to welcome to real life, kids. Life ain't always fair. Found this article, which was written by Alina uh, Gitzenberg of ESPN.com. Bill's rookie punter Matt Arizia uh, and two others have been accused of gang raping a 17-year-old girl last year in a lawsuit filed in San Diego County Superior Court on Thursday. Lawsuit, which was attained by ESPN, involves allegations against. Arasia and two of his former San Diego State teammates. The other men named in the complaint are Xavier Leonard, a red shirt freshman with the Aztecs, and Nolan E I don't know E W A L I K O. If you can pronounce that, then more power to you. Who was a freshman last season, but is no longer on the listed roster. All three are accused of rape, gender violence, and false imprisonment. Put, they are guilty of what they're being accused of put all three of those motherfuckers in prison and put all three of those motherfuckers in G in general population and let those motherfuckers fend for themselves uh what the lawsuit accuses Aresia of doing this was i got this from uh Shalise maza young of yahoo.com how disgusting is this while being 21 at the time Aresia is accused of having sex with the then high school senior who was under the age of consent in California outside of an off-campus party held at his residence 
During the early hours of October 17, 2021, the suit states Arizia then brought her inside a room where at least three other men were, including the two that are being uh, charged, and that she was repeatedly raped for about an hour and a half until the party was shut down. She was repeatedly raped for about an hour and a fucking half until the party was shut down. Are you fucking kidding me? And this animal, if this is true, and this animal is allowed to be walking the streets, all three of them, if, th- if this is true, if this is true, if this is true, these motherfuckers are still walking around the streets. Arasia issued a statement Friday to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport stating the, fa- the facts of the incident are not what they are portrayed in the lawsuit or in the press. I look forward to quickly settling the rec- setting the uh, I look forward to quickly setting the record straight. Um, of course, you know, but what what is why the Bills are not, you know, why the Bills are still having dirty hands on this is basically, hey man, did you know about this? This happened on October of 2021. If you knew this, how did you not know this? And why, if you did know this, would you draft the guy? He's a fucking kicker. Wide receiver, deep, and I hate to say this. This is horrible. This is terrible. But hey, man, let's just keep it real. Let's keep it 100, right? If he was a wide receiver, if he was a quarterback, if he was a defensive end, if he was a quarterback, if he was someone of real consequence to your team, then yeah, you go ahead and you draft him in the sixth round and hope and pray that this goes away. And if it does come up, you say, well, we spoke to him and we did our background and he's a great guy and, you know, court of law and he needs to have his day and all this other nonsense that these teams will throw out there when they um, when they have a person of ill repute on their team, right? This is a fucking kicker. All of this nonsense, all of this scrutiny, all of this attention, all of this negative attention, all of this, this attention that you don't want is going to be for a kicker? A kicker? In the second round? Hell, this isn't even Ray Guy. A kicker? Sean McDermott, head coach of the Bills, said after the game that he'd learn New information on the case in the past 24 hours. What new information did you hear? All I would need to hear is gang rape and we're done. All I need to hear is he had sex with a 17-year-old. Bye. No, we're good. Nah. And he's a kicker? Nah, we're good. Nah, uh uh-uh, uh-uh. Does he have the skills of Trevor Lawrence? Does he have the skills of Garrett Wilson? Does he have the skills of of Trayvon, uh, Javon Walker? Does he have any of that type of stuff? Is this a guy who's going to uh, help me keep my job? Is this a guy that's going to help me elevate myself to a head coaching position because I'm going to be coaching him from the defensive uh, or offensive side of the football? Is he that type of talent? Does he have that type of impact? Is this a guy that's going to move the needle in terms of my chances of winning a Super Bowl? Is this going to be a guy that's going to move the needle for me to have my franchise be enhanced even more financially? If this is going to be a situation where this guy is going to help me move more merchandise, which is going to have my franchise become more of a moneymaker. If you're asking all those questions about a guy who's being accused of gang rape and raping a 17-year-old girl or having sex with a 17-year-old girl when he's 21, if none of those questions that you ask are, uh, you know, come up as yes, then the answer is no. The answer is no. You don't do that. You don't do that. So it's amazing. So Sean Dermott is talking about, Sean McDermott is talking about he needed new information. What new information did you need? He's a fucking punter. 
He said that despite the bills saying that they had to conduct a thorough examination, uh, he said so despite the fact that uh, you know the bills are conducting a thorough examination. What thorough examination do you need? I don't need to know the details. What examination? Matt, did you have sex with a 17-year-old girl when you were 21 years old? Yes, bye. Yeah, but, uh, you know, she looked like she was 20. Bye. Yeah, well, she had a fake ID and it said that she was 24. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Jeez. Unbelievable. A few days before making that statement about, you know, he needed to, uh, the Bills are conducting more information. Like, oh, I, I didn't know all of this came about. I never would have drafted him if we knew all this new information came out. Again, rape or, again, having sex with a 17-year-old when you are 21 years old. Bye. Um, let me see here. He said, before a few days of making that statement about he was on the Pardon My Take podcast, that he said that Arasia was a great kid. He was a great kid. So that, to me, shows that you didn't know anything about this. I don't know of any great kids who would have sex with a 17-year-old at a party when you're 21. I don't know of anybody who would be a quote-unquote great kid when you're the age of being a junior or senior in college that would have sex with someone who's still in high school. Doesn't sound like a great kid to me. Sounds disturbed, sounds abnormally horny, and it sounds disgusting. If you're 21 years old and you've been out of high school for three or four years, and yet still you're still going to go ahead and try to have sex with a 17-year-old and then pass her along? Are you fucking nuts? Where does great kid come into that? Nowhere. Then he said, prayers go out to Matt Arasa after, you know, even though McDermott said, even though his thoughts and prayers go out to the people involved, and that includes Matt, uh, prayers go out to Matt Arisa, who's a great kid. Prayers go out to this guy, huh? Let's send prayers to the rapist. According to the lawsuit for this great kid, who's, who, who needs to be prayed on, not prayed on, prayed on, but I mean, he needs to have his prayers, who, 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 needs to, who are asking for the Lord to come on down and uh, be with them. According to the lawsuit, the one woman and some friends went to a party at an off-campus house where Ariza lived. She alleges she was handed a drink by Arasia. According to the lawsuit, there is suspicion of the drink contained not only alcohol, but other intoxicating substances. So that makes him a fucking rapist. Separating her from her friends, Arasia allegedly led the young woman to a side yard where he allegedly told her to perform to perform oral sex on him. You fucking asshole. And then he stood her up, turned her around, and allegedly had sex with her. You fucking piece, piece of shit. Your fucking mother and father should be fucking proud of you, right? Great kid. He was... He then is accused of bringing her to a room inside the house where several other people were waiting. You piece of shit. You absolute piece of shit. Arasia allegedly threw her face down on the bed and the men in the room allegedly took turns raping her as she went in and out of consciousness for about 90 minutes. He's a great kid. We need to send prayers to this guy who's a great kid. According to the lawsuit, the alleged victim genitals were bloody and piercings in her nose, ear, and belly button had been ripped out. After the rape and sexual assault happened, she went to the police to report the alleged assault the next day where she says she had to wait five hours to speak to an officer. 
woman was gang raped in and out of consciousness for a fucking half an hour, hour and a half. And she went to the police where she had to wait five fucking hours to uh, go ahead and do this. Are you kidding me? Sorry about me getting mad, but it just angers me. Are you kidding me? And for those who say that I'm overreacting with this, if that was your daughter, what would you think? If that was your sister, what would your emotions be? If that was your daughter or your mother, what would your emotions be? Had to wait five hours after being gang raped for an hour and a half being in and out of consciousness. What would you do if that was someone who you loved? What would you do if that was your wife? What would you do if that was your sister? Would you be calm? Would you be like, oh, well, there you go. At least, you, at least it wasn't six hours, right? Documents from the lawsuit said that in a pretext phone call the alleged victim made to Arasia, he confirmed that he and the teenager had sex. He told her that she should get tested for chlamydia. Arasia's tone changed when she asked him, did we and did we ha have actual sex? And he claimed he didn't remember anything about the night then hung up. Police detectives were repeat, reportedly recording the call. I don't know, man. Compared to this, I mean, as I mentioned before, what are we going to do with Deshaun Watson? Because to me, this is on the same level of disgusting, of just ridiculous. And again, with the Bills, what what more do we need here? What what more did you what more information did you need? Now all of this stuff is coming out, but I'm quite sure that the Bills were privy to this information a lot sooner than what you and I are reading on Yahoo and ESPN and such. I'm quite sure that if the Bills were diligent and really doing their homework, and maybe they were sitting there talking about, look, he's a kicker and we're in the sixth round, right? How much if, how much time and effort and financial resources? Are we really going to put into a rookie punter? Or how, how much resources, financial resources and time are we going to put into a six-round draft pick who happens to be a punter? But still, this is this is disgusting. And and how does San Diego State not really do anything about this either? It's uh, you know it was it, once again it's, it's the NFL. And look, I know people like to uh, sit there and throw slings and arrows at Roger Goodell, but. You know, this this is a situation where, I don't know, man, it, 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 it's disgusting, it, it's horrible, the Bills finally did the right thing, but again, I, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if this was someone of more of a consequence in terms of the impact that they would have on their team, and remember here, we're, we're speaking about having an impact on the team, we're speaking about jobs, we're speaking about jobs concerning general managers, coaches, Assisting coaches, position coaches. I mean, this is a situation where, you know, sometimes when we sit there and we're outraged about how they're going to be taking a chance on this guy and why there shouldn't be second chances or third chances for this guy. Well, it's all based on what can you do for the team. If you have the right amount of talent, you'll get chance after chance after chance because, you know, you can't go out and get yourself a job as a football coach or an NFL football coach. There's only 30-something positions out there. So, you know, it's a situation where, you know, where do we, I don't know. It's it just, it's just ridiculous. It's just horrible. Real quick, 
I'm going to be speaking about this a little bit in more detail on my uh, YouTube episode. But uh, Kevin Durant and the switching to the NBA. Kevin Durant and the uh, New Jersey Nets decided they're going to uh, stay together like Al Green situation where, look, hey, man, the Nets went to uh, Kevin Durant and said, look, we can't trade you anywhere. Sorry. I mean, you signed a four-year contract and all those type of things. But, look, we're not going to be giving you away. We can't trade you to the Phoenix Suns, your preferred destination, allegedly. We can't trade you anywhere else. We just got to make this work. What can we do to make this work? It's good. It's interesting to see that. Why is it that Kevin Durant, everywhere he goes, it always ends up with him being miserable? He went to Oklahoma City for, he played for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Near the end of that tenure, he wanted to get out of there. Now, maybe playing with Russell Westbrook and living in Oklahoma City would make anybody after eight years want to get the hell out of town. But, you know, he played with the Golden State Warriors. And by the last season, he was miserable. He wanted to get out. He didn't like uh, Steve Kerr. He was battling and button heads with Draymond Green. And this was a guy playing for the Warriors who was winning championships. And he was so disillusioned that even though that he was the best player on the team, that the fans still regarded it as Steph Curry's team and Kevin Durant was still regarded as someone who was bandwagoning to a championship. That led him to the fact that, you know what, I want to go ahead and I want to show people that I can get this done my way. So he hooked up with all people Kyrie Irving after tearing his Achilles, which meant that he missed the upcoming season after leaving Golden State and then going through the injuries and then going ahead and getting James Harden and then the drama with James Harden. It's a situation where it's kind of like, man, what, what, what can we do? What, is there any situation humanly possible that Kevin Durant can be in the optimum happy place in terms of him playing basketball for an organization? Because it just seems like everywhere he goes, I mean, the moodiness and the divaness, and I don't know what it is, just seems to get shorter and shorter and shorter. Now, when he came to Seattle, then moved to Oklahoma City, he was still building his brand. He was still building his career. He was still building his reputation. You know, those those type of things. So, of course, the first three or four years, he's not sitting up there talking about, get me out of here, I want to be traded and dictating stuff, because it wasn't his league just yet. It was still LeBron's league. It was still Kobe's league. So he didn't have the room. He didn't have the space. He didn't have the gravitas to go out there and start being the Kevin Durant that he is now. So finally got tired of playing with Russell Westbrook. Then, as I mentioned before, went to the Golden State Warriors, took a whole lot of shit, but still won championships. Who gives a fuck what people think? You're a champion. Who gives a fuck what Charles Barkley thinks? You're better than him. You won a championship also. Binga, bonga, booma, gama. You know? So I, I don't I don't know exactly. He went to the Brooklyn Nets. He took Kyrie Irving with him. He took DeAndre Jordan with him. He didn't like Kenny Atkinson, so he got Steve Nash to be the coach. He wanted James Harden, they got James Harden. I, what more do you want from us? What more do you need from us? What can we do to make you happy? Do you even know what you want to make yourself happy? This guy is turning into like the uh, Diaz brothers of the NBA. Where he's only happy when he's not happy. So it'll be interesting. And I'm quite sure with the um, when training camp starts and he comes back to Brooklyn and they start asking him questions, he'll just be like, eh, you know, whatever, moving forward. You know, it is what it is. That was in the past. This is now the future. I ain't the first person who asked for a trade and didn't get it. I won't be the last. I'm here in Brooklyn for right now. Working on having a great season. And Kevin Durant, for all of his bullshit and for all of his nonsense and for all of his divasness and all of his all of his shit that he brings to the uh, table, it's all worth it. Because, man, that cat can ball like no other. 
Man, that guy, he's worth it. He's worth it. He's a pain in the ass, but woo, is he worth it? And what superstar is not a pain in the ass? You don't, you think LeBron is the peach to be dealing with, even when you know Miami and Cleveland stops one and two? I mean, you think LeBron was easy easy to deal with? I mean, not all of us can be Steph Curry. Not all great NBA superstars and legends can be Tim Duncan and Steph Curry. So, but hey, man, is Durant worth all of the nonsense and the bullshit and the years taking off people's lives because he just drives the nuts and raises their stress levels to unmitigated levels? Absolutely. 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 So, it'll be interesting. And last but not least, here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast, Chet Holmgren is going to be missing the upcoming season. The number two pick out of Gonzaga hurt himself in the Seattle Pro League. Uh, trying to guard LeBron James on the open court came down. I don't know how he broke his list, Frank Bone, but uh, he's going to miss the entire season. So I don't know. Big blow. Everyone's now talking about should the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder now start tanking? Well, they're going to start tank- tanking because you know the 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 the, the gem is Victor Wimbignana, seven three guy who has you know could put the ball on the floor and do all these type of things. I think the closest thing to Ralph Sampson since. Ralph Sampson was playing. So, Wimbignana is the legit tank-the-season type of type of player. But if you're Oklahoma City, let's say you do get the number one pick. You can't play Wimbignana and Chet Holmgren together. So, wh- what is it about that? Interesting, interesting. I think, should, should the Oklahoma City Thunder be quote-unquote tanking? No, but they're not going to be very good to begin with, so I don't think they even need to tank to get into a position where they can get themselves a, a good draft pick. Um, so, you know, have Holmgren get bigger, have Holmgren get stronger. And um, the injury is not supposed to be something where it's going to be reoccurring. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the deal with Oklahoma City and the loss of Chet Holmgren. Get better, young man. I uh, had a really good summer league. Um, the league is going to miss you. You know, you're part of the you're part of the future, so, uh, you know, get yourself ready, and we'll see you back next season. I will see you. You'll hear from me in about a week or so. I am going to uh, go ahead and this bad boy. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Thank you so much. Again, as I mentioned before, subscribe, download, like, rate, review, all that good stuff. Give me five stars. Really would appreciate that going to end as i always do by saying hey man let's be good to each other let's see what we can do to learn from each other let's drop the ignorance let's drop the racism let's drop the misogyny let's drop the stereotyping let's drop the bigotry let's see what we can do to uh, come together as one regardless of race or color or where you're from or what your religion is or you know, how much what your financial background is and who do you love and all that nonsense let's, let's drop that bullshit If you're down for what I'm down for, which is love, peace, unity, togetherness, understanding, then I don't care who you are. I don't care who you love. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what you're, you know, let's, uh, let's go ahead and become brothers and sisters as one as we move this society to a better place where, again, peace, love, unity, understanding, intelligence, and communications, and education, and respect for one another are the premium and we can let the bigotry and we can let the hatred and we can let the evil and we can let all that other nonsense people who are racist and bigots and misogynists and all those type of assholes we can leave them in the we can leave them in the uh in, in our dust 
as we move to a utopian society where we are truly, truly, truly based on who we are on the inside as human beings and not what we look like and not what gender we are and those type of things. All right. So please go ahead and do that, because um, let me tell you something, man, if you don't do that and if you listen to this podcast and you don't give me five stars, you're going to make me very, very angry. You're going to make me very angry and don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Music.